Yo, this is Steve Bloom, the voice of Zeb in Star Wars Rebels. And you are listening to Star Wars Bookworms. Even men like Talon Card occasionally make mistakes. This is the Chimera. Launch the attack. Time to go to work. You won't let me get killed, will you? Is that what I was supposed to be doing here? I should have brought my lightsaber. Welcome back to another episode of Star Wars Bookworms. Only on this episode, we are not talking about a book. Instead, we're going to talk about a movie. And we decided that we really wanted to do this because, well, we're Star Wars friends. Um, so I am Teresa Delgado, and with me is my co-host, Aaron Goins. Hey, Aaron, how many times have you seen it? Um, as of today, I've seen it four times. I literally watched it just a couple hours ago for the fourth time. Nice. Good job. And with us today is a good friend of the show. We've interviewed him before, and we like to hang out with him at conventions. It's Adam Bray. Hey, Adam, how many times have you seen it? Hey, guys, thanks for having me. I have seen it three times now, and I'm hoping if the weather's good, I'll see it again tomorrow. Yeah, that's about where I'm at. I've seen it three times. Um, I'm planning on taking my 15-year-old nephew tomorrow for the first time. He's never seen it before. And this will be his first Star Wars film proper in the theater. Um, he's about the. He's 14 right now. He'll be 15 next month. So he's the same age I was when I saw my very first Star Wars movie in the theater. So I'm excited. I'm excited to take him tomorrow. <laughs> be a good time. So, um... Aaron, I guess we'll start it out this way. How did you see it for the first time? Um, I went to the earliest possible showing I could. I went to a, the Thursday it came out. I went to a 7 p.m. showing. Um, saw it in 3D the first time. I typically don't like 3D movies, but um, it just with the mad rush of trying to get tickets, it just happened that the the showing that I got was 3D. Um, so that was yeah my first showing, and then I went right after drove to another theater and saw a 10:30 showing. So yeah, it was <laughs> nice. kind of my, and we it was cool because a lot I don't have that many Star Wars friends around here. Um, most of my Star Wars friends are the people I hang out with at conventions, but I do have a lot of friends that are casual Star Wars fans, and they all just kind of came out of the woodwork for this movie. As we can tell with how much money it's making, everybody seems like is going to see this movie. So I actually saw, I actually knew quite a bit of people in the theater. Um, probably about I'd say about twenty people. Uh, we didn't necessarily all go together, but we kind of all knew each other. Uh, so that was kind of cool as well. Well, and you also took your son for the first time, right? Yes. Um, I was debating on taking my son to this movie um, because it is PG-13. My son is only three. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he's a little under the age, you know, the age limit. But I I th- 10 years. after watching it twice, I thought, yeah, for the most part, I feel like it would be just knowing his temperament. I figured that he'd be able to handle it. Um, so I figured I'd give it a shot. I did leave the theater um at one point um because it was the part with the wrath tars is that what they're called Mm -hmm. oh yeah and i thought that might scare him a little bit so we did leave to get popcorn at that point but other than that he did really good with the movie he seemed really excited he paid attention the entire time um you know and he couldn't stop talking about ray and lightsabers and the force and x-wings for the next few days so i think it was a pretty good experience yeah, and if you guys are listening, stay tuned to the very end after we do our closeout of the show. You might hear a little bit of an interview with Quinn on how he likes Star Wars, The Force Awakens. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, 
Adam, how did you see it for the first time? Right. Uh, well, it's funny listening to Aaron because <clears throat> I was three years old the first time I saw Star Wars uh, at a drive-in movie theater. So I, I can remember how that felt. I'm sure it'll, it, you know, if your son's anything like I am, it'll it'll impact him for the rest of his life, possibly. Um, but I uh, I saw the new movie, Force Awakens. Um, actually, I was uh, having a whole weekend-long book signing. It's the first time I've ever done a, a book signing kind of on my own. And I did it uh, at, the, at the local movie theater uh, here in Petoskey, Michigan. So I, I was there all four days, uh, including uh, the, the preview night on Thursday. So I just, after... The first evening of signing, I went right in with everybody else and then uh, went in the next two days. So uh, saw it right there in the beginning and uh, just instantly fell in love with the movie. Oh, that's great. Yeah, so for me, um, I was lucky enough to attend a press screening. Um, and I'm going to go ahead and say thank you to Tracy Canobio and to all the people at Lucasfilm and Walt Disney Pictures for getting that set up for me. There was a press screening here in Austin, Texas. Um, so I got to do that Tuesday. And that was a really strange experience because you're watching a movie with critics, not fans. And so they're taking notes and stuff. And I'm sitting there by myself, none of my friends, just curled up in a little ball in my chair going, oh, my goodness. Um and so nobody reacts to anything. It was a very weird, uh. very weird environment. Um, but then I saw it Thursday night on the 17th with a bunch of my friends, um, other podcasting friends that drove in from Georgia and my family. And then we went and saw it again in 3D on Friday, December 18th. So I actually haven't seen it since December 18th. So I'm really anxious to get back into the theater and kind of see this thing. But Aaron, you were talking about your three-year-old nephew or three-year-old son. I'm going to take my five-year-old nephew as soon as he's available. He really wants to see it. Um, he's already kind of obsessed with Kylo Ren. So we'll see how that goes. But he's really good in movie theaters. He's been to lots of movies before. So I think he'll be fine. Yeah, kind um, of like what Adam was just saying about how you just you went when you were three and it kind of affected the rest of your life. That's kind of right. why... Because I, I always heard that story from so many different people when they saw the original trilogy, you know, when they were very young and how it had a big impact on their life, you know, either creatively or just their interests, things that they got into because of, you know, their imaginations being sparked by something like Star Wars. So I was like, I can't not give my son that opportunity, <laughs> you know. So even though he was very young and he had never been to the theater before, I just thought, you know what, I don't want to miss this chance to really share something like this with him. Because if I if I don't take him, I'm going to probably be kicking myself. Uh, so so yeah, I'm glad I did. Good. Yeah, that's awesome. Because I I mean I remember a lot about that experience. Uh, you know, even being only three years old, I re remember a lot about the setting where I was and, and about the movie itself. So I think when you're young like that, you know, you haven't had a lot of experiences. You haven't seen a lot of amazing stuff. So you know, I think it it, it definitely. Uh, can impact him and like you said hopefully uh, inspire his creativity for the rest of his life so let's jump into some of it just like right off the top um let's say like standout characters um adam who stood out the most to you well you know it's it's funny, I didn't go in with any sort of, you know, favorite character necessarily. I, d I did like some of the designs on some of the aliens, uh, particularly one that 
didn't even show up. Uh, Sarko Plank uh, and those those red red robes, and uh, he's got an action figure, and uh, he's apparently he's a main character in uh, that uh, that short novel I think with uh, Luke Skywalker from Del Rey, which I haven't read yet. Um, but apart from that, I didn't you know I hadn't didn't lean towards anyone in particular, so uh, I was just open to let the movie hit me and. It, it was really Ray. It was it was Daisy Ridley that I felt like just kind of stole the show. Um, she was she's I mean like everybody says she was just amazing and her her acting her her facial expressions um, her personality she's just. I mean, she's adorable, but the the joy and the excitement that she has, and you know, when she's confronted with Kylo Ren, you know, that feeling of terror, and when she you know discovers the Force, you know, just just the way she reacts to things, I, I felt like she stole the show. Yeah, I mean, Ray for me was a standout, but the more I've sort of processed the film, I love Ray. I absolutely love Ray. But the more I've talked about it to people, Kylo Ren has kind of been the standout for me. And mm. he wasn't initially. It's something that sort of grew over, you know, the 10 days or so that it's been since I've seen it and processing it and talking. And the more I've dived into his Gerdova, whatever the right word is, <laughs> into his character, He's become more intriguing to me than mm -hmm. I thought he was going to be. Um, but Ray definitely. I mean, Daisy Ridley's performance was a complete standout. She was just amazing. Yeah, I think there's so much potential with Kylo Ren. Um, and I know, like, I had gone to the theater with some friends, and one of the first reactions after the movie was over with people that just, they like I said, they're kind of, fringe star wars fans so they hadn't really been following all the hype and really even knew much about what the characters were supposed to be so a lot of a lot of my friends didn't even know who like what kylo ren looked like they weren't aware of the actor mm. um and so i think the expectation because the character looks a certain way at the mask when he was unmasked a couple of my friends were like oh wow like he doesn't look anything like what i expected um uh, like kind of a negative they were just like he just looks kind of like a you know a spoiled brat type you know brooding teenager type um and they were like yeah i didn't really like the character that much um but i think we're seeing kylo ren at the beginning of his progression into what he's going to become um so we're we're kind of seeing that early stages of him and he is still kind of immature and hasn't found him his footing in the dark side but um he's going to grow into a much probably darker uh character with a little bit more of an edge as as the movies go on um but to answer your question ray by far was my favorite character um i just i tend to enjoy the the force sensitive characters and the the jedi um and she's probably the closest we got to that in this movie um so yeah she was she was definitely the standout for me as well well so as far as um kylo ren goes i guess since we're kind of talking about him um you know, I don't know, like you were talking about as far as he's not really like full into the dark side. One of the things that's kind of come up in conversation is that he's a completely different villain than any villain that we've had in Star Wars before. Mm. Because, you know, Anakin was not necessarily trying to turn to the dark side. He was trying to save Padme. He was trying to gain power in order to preserve 
the things that he had grown up believing in. He wasn't necessarily looking to turn dark. Whereas Kylo Ren is the opposite. He f- he's feeling the pull from the light side. He's being seduced by the light side and he's trying to push that away. So it's, it's different because we don't really get that flip side of a villain very often. You know, it's usually them being seduced right. by the dark rather than being seduced by the light, which I think is a very interesting kind of concept. And I, I'm really interested in finding out, like, why exactly, you know, it is that way. And the other thing we see with Kylo Ren is that he's um, he's very unstable. He's not mm. polished the way that the Sith are polished or the way that most dark side characters tend to be. They're very clean cut. They're very... You know, they're, I just, I go with the word smooth because of the way that they act and like nothing phases them. Whereas with Kylo Ren, we've got temper tantrums. We've got, you know, a lightsaber that's not, you know, smooth and together. We've got this just really volatile nature, almost like he's ready to explode at any point in time. And I think that that's a really cool thing to see. I don't know if you guys noticed that. Right, yeah, and he's he's very insecure, and uh, I think uh, in some ways he he might be a little bit like like what a young Palpatine uh, could have been, though Palpatine seems a bit more cool and collected than uh, Kylo is. But yeah, I think uh, we've you know in Star Wars before it's been about the hero's journey. This is kind of seems like uh, the the villain's journey that uh, we're on the start of here. Yeah, I think I th- it's kind of both. Go ahead, Aaron. <laughs> uh, I was just going to kind of, in your comparison to Anakin, um, the advantage we have with Anakin is we know his backstory. We know kind of his reasoning, why he turned to the dark side. We, we've seen him ever since he was a little kid and kind of seen the progression of what turned him. We don't know that yet about Kylo Ren. We don't know. Mm-hmm. We know he is, you know, right now on the dark side, kind of struggling with the light, you know, pulling him back. But we don't know what brought him there. So that'll be a very interesting history to learn eventually if they'll reveal it in the movies, if they'll reveal it in other media. But I'm sure someday we'll we'll find out kind of more about what was his reason. Because maybe he was kind of like Anakin. Maybe he turned because he thought it was the best thing for you know him at the time or his family or the galaxy. So it'll be right. interesting to see what those motivations actually are. I've kind of wondered if um, perhaps... In training him, Luke, <clears throat> excuse me, Luke would have probably noticed uh, a tendency uh, to the dark side uh, in Kylo, and maybe you know perhaps Luke you know pushed him away and decided he didn't want to train him anymore because he was afraid of where it was going to lead to. So perhaps you know Kylo could have then looked to these Knights of Ren or to Snoke uh, instead. Uh, it's kind of what. What I've I've started to wonder from from what little we've seen. Yeah, you know, the only thing that I found because I after seeing the movie, I was not convinced that Kylo Ren was actually the student that they talk about that turned that caused Luke to, you know, disappear and go into hiding. I thought that it was probably Snoke. Um, hmm. I have successfully been proven wrong um, through the Visual Dictionary. Um, <laughs> it does say that. Um, that he actually was the one um, and that he's earned the nickname of Jedi Killer by the First Order. Um, mm. So, you know, but I, I honestly thought, I don't know, I just didn't catch it in the dialogue the way that others did that I thought, I wasn't convinced that it was him. Um, mm. 
but I know that Aaron, you knew or you had suspected that it was him, correct? Yeah, th- I thought that was pretty much what they were implying with the dialogue in the movie. Although it maybe never was clearly stated, it, it did seem to be pretty implied. Um, and I'm just, I'm really curious to know when he left. You know, because I think a lot of people were just assuming right. he was already, you know, kind of an adult and then turned. But um, I'm kind of wondering maybe if Snoke got him a lot younger than we're realizing and maybe, you know, he came back after he had turned to the dark side and Snoke trained him for years and years and years and then he came back to the Jedi Order and wiped them out, um, you know, rather than it being kind of an instantaneous thing. So, yeah, there's just so much detail left for us to find out. Yep. So let's talk a little bit about BB-8, um, just because he was all over the marketing. He was everywhere, but... Um, I think he he lived up to it. My biggest fear was that he wasn't going to be as amazing as they were making him out to be. And then he ended up being even more amazing. <laughs> yeah. He totally lived um, up to it, right? He did. He, I mean, he, like, do you guys have any my expectations. <laughs> do y'all have any favorite BB-8 moments? Oh, the, he, he was so great throughout. I guess uh, the, the funniest one is that uh, little back and forth between uh, him and Finn and Ray and the Millennium Falcon when he uh, flips his uh, little lighter up to give a uh, thumbs up to Finn. It was just uh, completely adorable. Yeah, that- yeah I mean, that, that whole exchange was great just because Finn tells him, you know, I'm not a part of the resistance. And he's like, okay, whoa, dude. Like he like rocks back like, mm. I don't know if I want to talk to you. And then he looks in between the two of them like, I don't know. I don't know. Um, but I think well, one thing that people, are, they they always highlight the thumbs up. But the one thing that I found to be the most hilarious is when Ray is trying to tell Finn what she needs to fix the whatever it is she's fixing. And she's telling him, no, no, that one, the other one. And he just like rolls down and like looks right at it. You know, he's like <laughs> yeah. this. <laughs> um it's just great and he accentuates the whole plot i don't know there's just something about that little guy mm. yeah, yeah it's pretty amazing um for basically a ball with a head on it um how much uh personality they're able to give him uh just you know through through twirling that little head around basically and a few sound effects i mean he's completely alive uh as much or more as r2d2 yeah i think it's kind of it's almost blasphemous to think that there could be another droid that has surpassed r2d2 in the hearts of of you know the viewers but i feel like bb8's getting there and i know at least with my son who is a big fan of r2d2 and chopper um, BB-8's his favorite, you know, it's hands down. So, um, but yeah, I, I agree with you, Adam, the thumbs up moment and that whole back and forth between, between, uh, Finn and BB-8 was also my favorite BB-8 moment. Well, you know, it is like people have been, they've been getting on to me because I'm just talking about BB-8 and they're like, well, what about R2? And I'm like, no, but what <laughs> about BB-8? You know? And, um, I love R2-D2. I will always love R2, but right now, BB-8 is my is my favorite droid. Um, there's something about him that he's almost more human than R2 ever was. Um, and maybe it's technology or what they can do with 
you know, CGI and stuff now and other things that they couldn't do with, um, you know, with R2 and the original trilogy. But um, mm. BB-8 is just, there's just something about him. But, you know, he's definitely the baby of the droids or the puppy. You know, he, he rolls up to R2 and he's just kind of like nudging him. And at first I thought there was going to be like a rivalry between the two, sort of like we see right. with Chopper and R2 on Rebels. But it's definitely not the case. If anything, BB-8 just wants to be R2's friend, you know, and he wants to hang out with him and play with him and stuff. Yeah, and that one of the things about uh, the way the movie unfolded, you know, I didn't realize it till after I thought about it, uh, you know, and probably had seen it a couple times. You know, actually, though they don't, you know, get together till really towards the end of the movie, actually BB-8 probably knows R2-D2 and C-3PO very well because that's actually where he came from. So there's probably a bit of a history between uh, those three droids potentially. So they've probably already got a good relationship going that we're not privy to yet. Right, and... um. Aaron, I heard, maybe you can confirm, we're going to find out the story of C-3PO's arm in a like a one-shot comic or something? Yeah, from Marvel. Marvel's doing a, a one-shot um, that apparently is going to be telling us why C-3PO has a red arm. Um, I know initially I think it was supposed to come out kind of as the lead-up stuff and the, the journey uh, to The Force Awakens, but I think it got delayed, but I, I know it's coming um, soon. Well, it's... That's interesting because that uh, that dialogue, you know, there weren't a lot of awkward dialogue moments, but that one was a little bit forced, awkward, weird. It did. It's kind of funny because I feel like C-3PO, if there's any character from the original trilogy that did seem a little out of place in this movie and uh, almost forced in, kind of like they felt like they needed to include everyone, so they kind of found a role for him, I would say it was definitely C-3PO. Um, they could he could have not have been in this movie, and I don't think it really would have changed the movie much at all. Right? Yeah, I <clears throat> I think I kind of felt that way too. Which is sad to say because you know he's one of the original characters, <clears throat> and you know you know he's he's can be a fan favorite for some. Um, but yeah, it just he did seem a little out of place um, in that one scene where he is kind of you know in between Han and Leia, although it is a little bit of a callback to Empire Strikes Back and some of the situations there, it did seem a little a little forced. It it did, but it was also funny. I mean, the dialogue I'm talking about is the dialogue about the arm, where he's like, you probably yeah. didn't recognize me with my red arm. Like, he didn't even have to say that. But when he pops up, I remember going, yes! Because it was <laughs> just so funny, because he's like, hello, and you're just like, well, that's C-3PO. That's what he does. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. So how about the, you know, the arrival or when we first see, like, the legacy characters? I know, um, Aaron, you're a lot more attached to the original trilogy, and Adam, obviously, you are too than I am. I'm, I'm definitely a, a prequel trilogy person. So for you guys, what were, what was those moments like? Well, I think, um, <clears throat> I guess is the, the first you know, quote-unquote character we get introduced is the, the Millennium Falcon. Um, and that, uh, that was quite a shock. I, uh, I didn't expect, you know, we'd, we'd come across the ship that way, you know, in the junkyard and kind of abandoned. Um, so that was, that, that was it, it's always, I, I think it's always nice to be surprised in these movies and to have things you don't expect. So I, th I thought that was really interesting. 
Yeah, I I agree with you on that. Um, that was an unexpected uh, because we had all seen that preview of them running to the quad jumper. Um, that had it seemed like that was the pre. Anytime you watch like one of the late night shows like Conan O'Brien or Jimmy Fallon, they always play that same clip. So I had seen that clip a number of times, them running to the quad jumper, then it blowing up. But then, you know, the shifting over, like, okay, the garbage will do, and then they turn, they turn over, the camera pans over, and it's the Millennium Falcon. I wasn't expecting that at all. So, yeah, that was kind of that first nostalgic, like, oh, wow, like the Millennium Falcon is right there, and they're about to fly it. Um, so, yeah, that definitely was kind of the first original trilogy thing. Then, obviously, we get Han and Chewie coming on, which we had already seen in the trailer. Um, and the big thing for me, for, for me personally, the anticipation of seeing Luke Skywalker, um, I did, I was a little kind of like disappointed that he was not in the movie (laughs) because (laughs) that was the character I was the most excited to see and kind of see where he was in the galaxy and, you know, what level has he reached as a Jedi and is, is he like, you know, fully, has he fully realized his jedi powers and i had all these questions and those questions are still going to last for the next two years so right um, that was a big disappointment did you really expect to see him though because i didn't yes i expected to see him the amount that we saw him yeah then you then you did good for yourself because i was i was definitely let down because i did although i i knew that he wasn't going to have as big of a role as han you know it had been pretty obvious that han was going to be the focus as far as the original characters go I figured that Luke would show up toward the end of the movie, um, yeah. But I didn't expect that he literally would only be in the very last scene of the movie. That was that was a little bit of a surprise, right? Yeah, I kind of I I had kind of expected that uh, maybe you know he'd he'd come towards the end and help them with the you know the the last battle or the the final solution of whatever they do. So to just literally see him in the last few seconds was a bit of a surprise, and at first it was disappointing but then as i've sat back and seen the movie a couple times it's really kind of like wow what a what a perfect way to end it you know to leave us wanting you know so much more and to have it pull at our hearts like that um i i felt was great but yeah it it took took seeing it a couple times to get used to that letdown oh definitely and i am you know now like kind of like you said at now that i've seen it a few times and I've come to terms with the fact that he's not in it that much. It does make sense why he why they did it the way they did, and they're setting him up to have a much bigger role in the next movie. So it's just going to increase my anticipation for the next film. Well, I mean, as soon as I saw the crawl, you know, and that he had disappeared, I was like, oh, okay, well, then I'm not going to see him until a lot later. But the one thing I can say about Mark Hamill is that he did more acting and probably the best acting of the whole film in those few seconds without speaking. Right. Like the look on his face and the emotion that you can tell that he's feeling mm. as Ray walks towards him. Like, I don't know. It's just, it's this really super powerful moment. The only thing I wish that did not happen was the Lord of the Rings camera spin deal Uh. you know i was like well now you know now we're in you know lord of the rings what happened the the final like the helicopter shot yeah Yeah. but it was it was definitely you know a lord of the rings feel it's kind of like at the end of a lord of the rings movie or at the end of the end of the end in one of the 20 endings of a return of the king you know that kind of like pan out shot (laughs) 
Yeah. I was just like, oh. It kind of fits with just in general that Star Wars kind of like it tends to always end on like that bigger wide shot of the usually it's a crowd or uh, multiple people standing there that it kind of pans out. So this time it was just two characters on the top of a cliff. And Mm -hmm. so they did did give us that wide shot that we typically get with a Star Wars movie. But you're right with kind of the motion of the camera. It did feel a little bit different than what we're used to seeing from a, a Star Wars movie. Well, see, because, like, I argue that point with you. Like, it didn't feel Star Wars to me at all because what Lucas, they call it the Lucas, like, wideout, I think is what they call it, where he just pulls back and just goes wide. Right. You know, where you get that big, wide pan out shot, whereas this is more of, like, a, you know, I don't even know. It's like I said, the motion. like, Lord of the Rings. It's, yeah. yeah. It's like it, it, it goes wide, but then it also has this, like, motion that kind of moves to the left, and it's it, mm-hmm. it definitely gives it a whole different feel. But, you know, J.J. Abrams, different director, um, you know, maybe putting a little bit of his own stamp on it. Yeah, I mean, I can honestly say the first scene when we see the ships leaving the finalizer and, like, coming down onto um, Jakku, it's sort of that felt very star trek um mm-hmm. and jj abrams star trek it felt very jj star trek i i, I recall the very first time i saw it i was like oh this feels like star trek um there was a yeah, couple there's... things i thought you know just recently seen watching some of the star trek movies um the newer ones with jj as the director um, there were definitely a couple of times where I was like, wow, that's, you know, it was almost like he wasn't even trying to be a little bit different in some scenes. Um, and I was remembering the, the chase scene in Star Trek Into Darkness where the Klingons are chasing him through kind of the wreckage um, on that planet. And I'm watching the Millennium Falcon fly through wreckage and it's kind of, you know, being chased by the TIE fighters. And I was like, wow, that's, that's so similar of an action sequence. Um, it's almost... It was a little kind of like, oh, maybe he could have done something a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I caught myself during that moment when the Falcon's flying, you know, away from the TIE fighters and stuff like that. I was actually kind of like turning my head, like trying to turn with the Falcon to keep it upright. <laughs> it was like, and we're upside down. And I could feel myself moving around, sort of how I do with like a video game when I'm flying something and I'm like moving my whole body around. And I was trying to get myself to stop. I was like, I'm probably annoying the person sitting next to me. <laughs> but I did cringe. Did you guys cringe every time she like kind of scraped the Falcon and started hitting stuff? I was like, ah. ah. Oh, yeah. I was wondering when in this movie is the Falcon going to bust up, especially when they uh, crash land on uh, near Starkiller Base. I thought surely the ship's going to fall apart. <laughs> yeah. I just remember cringing going, oh, Oh, come on, girl. You can fly this thing. You can fly it. But she pulls off an awesome move during that battle with the TIE Fighters where she just sort of turns off everything and goes into free fall upside down so that he can shoot the TIE Fighter that was right above them. It's like, mm. now that is an awesome move. I know um, I know a lot of people um, right after the movie ended uh, were like, why? Like, how does this girl who's grown up on this desert planet and never flown a ship before how is she able to do all the things that she did as far as flying? Um, and I think without maybe a little bit of the history of the character, it is kind of hard to, to understand, but that is one of the reasons why I would recommend people go pick up the book. Um, I think it's called, what's the one? Uh, By Greg Rucka? Yeah, the Greg Rucka Before book. Before the Awakening. Before the Awakening, yes. It's got three short stories 
in it about the three, you know, about Finn, Ray, and Poe, and all three of the stories perfectly lead into the beginning of The Force Awakens, but they also give some pretty important detail to, you know, the history of some of these characters and why they have some of these skills, um, you know, specifically for Rey, why she's able to, to fly a ship as well as she is, um, Finn, why he's able to, to do well in combat, you know, those type of things. You know, if you read that book, and they're pretty short stories, so I would definitely recommend mm-hmm. people picking it up. Um, it definitely helps explain some of that. One of the things that struck me was um, watching the beginning of the movie, you'd kind of expect that she was, you know, stranded there and couldn't leave. But as as you move through the story, we find out, well, no, that's not really perhaps the case. It's more of that she's choosing uh, to hang around the planet because she's hoping her family will eventually come back or whoever it is she's waiting for. Um, but actually, perhaps she has left the planet and perhaps she, she's done it more than once um, because it isn't that you know she's forced to stay. So I think not having read uh, the book myself, I, I think it could be interesting as we'll probably learn about her um, background over the next few years. Yeah, I agree. And I've only read the Finn story, and I can say that the Finn story really accentuates um, being able to understand Finn's character. And I was telling Adam a little bit about it. There, The stormtrooper that leaves the bloody handprint on his helmet is actually one of a group of four of his really good friends. And... Um, that stormtrooper's designation is FN-2003, or as they call him, they give him a nickname similar to the Clone Wars. They nickname him Slip. Um, and so it's it really makes that moment that much more powerful to know that that was one of his closer friends that that happened to. Um, and I know, Aaron, you read this before the film, and so you knew that when that scene happened. Was it just as powerful for you knowing that he was his friend? Yes, it did help, I think, for that, that specific scene. Having read the story before, I went and watched the movie. And actually, it was in, like, as I'm talking to some friends in line before we saw the movie, I was kind of filling them in on some of those details, too, just because I wanted them to know what was going on as they're watching the movie. Um, but, yeah, I think it does help understand kind of why, you know, why he seems so upset when that specific character di- dies. It wasn't just some random trooper. It was one of his close friends. Um, so yeah, the, the, that's the beauty of the books and comics and all the stuff, you know, to pick that stuff up because it does fill in those type of details and and adds to the experience. Yeah. And so, I mean, while we're talking about books and stuff, we can kind of reference this. Um, we've all read Lost Stars and there are obviously some things from Lost Stars that we see and even a Apart from just the down Star Destroyer. The Star Destroyer that we see crashed into J- into Jakku is obviously the Star Destroyer from Lost Stars that crashes into the planet. And we kind of go through that whole battle over Jakku, or at least parts of it, um, in Lost Stars. But one of the things that I found the most interesting, but it took me having the visual dictionary, reading Lost Stars, and seeing the movie in order to put it together, is Dakar, the planet that the Resistance is on, is a planet that was scouted out by Thane Kyrell 
and Kindy ideally from Lost Stars when they were a part of the Rebellion. They were scouting out that planet as a possible home base for the Rebellion. So, and I didn't catch it right away. It took, you know, getting all of these different books and stuff. And I know that kind of annoys some people, but for me, it was just really cool to be able to read that and to pull all of that kind of stuff together. How do you guys feel about some of these details being in all these different places? I think it's really cool uh, to, to tie it together, especially... Um you know, when it's it's not just one thing, you know, because, uh, you know, if it's just if it's, you know, just one detail in a book or something, it can kind of feel like a like a forced add on. But when when they pepper, you know, little bits here and there, it does make it feel a little more uh, natural uh, the way it all fits. So I, I think it's kind of cool. Yeah, I know they said when they announced the journey to the Force Awakens that there would be that kind of stuff sprinkled throughout. And you wouldn't really realize it until you actually watch the movie and then like, you know, character names or uh, locations, things like that, that you would remember. Um, I am kind of like you, Teresa. I didn't even realize it until I read it in the visual dictionary. And then I was like, oh, yeah, you know, I I totally forgotten. That's one of the planets they scouted. There was another thing that came up that I had totally forgotten that I read in Aftermath. Um, The the character who does actually have a few lines in the movie, Snap Wexley is a major character in Aftermath. Mm-hmm. And I had no idea because in Aftermath, he's a lot younger. He's only like 15. Um, but yeah, I was just kind of like, wow, that's the same guy. Um, so those kind of details, it, it's like rewarding the readers, people that do you know, read the books and things like that. It, those little details that are dropped into the film, it's, it's a nice nod to, to the people that enjoy to expand their universe. <laughs> yeah, I was just reading somewhere yesterday too. I forget where where it was I came upon it that um, Wexley's parents now have been uh, kind of retconned into uh, the the first run on the the Death Star in uh, A New Hope um, from Yavin. So they're they're really working the histories, you know, way back into uh, things into the original Star Wars. So they're putting quite a lot of thought into it, which is good. And then the tie-in with uh, like Poe Dameron's parents, you know, are basically the the main characters in Shattered Empire. Um, so yeah, there's just there's all kinds of tie-ins that I'm really enjoying. The idea of a story group and you know how they're they're purposely weaving this stuff together. Um, it I think it's it makes it it just makes it a lot more fun to follow this stuff. So speaking of tie-ins, I know you noticed that there were quite a few tie-ins into the prequels as well as the Clone Wars. What are some of those that sort of stuck out to you? Yeah, there were actually quite a lot of little things. Most of them are all they're all pretty small, uh, but I started making a, a list and they, they start to uh, really uh, add up. Um Let's see. Uh, one of them, uh, the the mention of a, a Jedi temple, where Han Solo um, talks about that there were rumors that Luke was going to to look for the original Jedi temple. I don't think that we ever really heard about Jedi temples uh, until the prequels um, and the the temple on Coruscant, uh, apart from you know maybe the EU. So I thought that that was a tie there. Um, the fact that uh, this um, the planet that gets blown up uh, where the Senate is residing, uh, actually the design actually looks so much like Coruscant. Um, I 
that seemed like definitely something they they drew on the prequels for that. Um, maybe even to a fault because I think it confused a lot of people. I know I thought I was watching Coruscant being blown up the first time I watched the movie. Well, to give you a little bit of background, I'm glad you brought that up about Hosnian Prime. Um, I know a lot of people don't like to get into the sort of politics and all of that when it comes to Star Wars, but that's definitely a prequel thing. Um, it's right. a big aspect of the prequels. But one of the things that we learned from the visual, um, the visual dictionary is that when the New Republic was formed, that they, that Mon Mothma wanted the capital, I guess you could say, of the Republic to sort of move, you know, from planet system to planet system. Um, it wasn't supposed to stay in one place, so they moved it off of Coruscant, and for this period of time, it was on Hosnian Prime. Um, as far as like where Hosnian Prime is, it's sort of across the core. So if the core was like a circle and Coruscant was at the top of your circle, Hosnian Prime would be at the bottom of your circle. So it's still in mm. the core, it's just across the core. Um, it's quite a ways away from Starkiller Base. Starkiller Base is sort of on what they're calling the unknown reaches, which is sort of like in the Outer Rim kind of area. Not as far out as the Outer Rim, but um, definitely kind of far out. So Starkiller Base, it doesn't move like a Death Star did. It just has this beam that basically cut across the galaxy um, to reach Hosnian Prime. And as far as some of those other political things, they cut out some scenes with some very specific individuals that... Like, Leia didn't go to the Senate um, because she felt like it would be a conflict. So she sent this other character, and they zoom in on her right at that point where they're getting ready to blow up Hosnian Prime. And I'm trying to find her name because um, she is in the guidebook. And so I'm trying to find her. Um, but apparently there was a scene that was cut out where Leia and her are talking um, but her name is Cor Sella, and she is, um, I'm trying to find it here, um, she's an envoy to make the case for the Senate to take direct action against the First Order, because apparently the New Rebellion is not wanting to fight the First Order. And so apparently she was a, a, supposed to be a pretty big character, and they ended up cutting her scenes. Um, so all of that stuff is really interesting because it, they don't, obviously they don't show us the scenes and everything, but I've been reading up on it cause I was really interested to know like where exactly is Hosnian Prime <laughs> and what is it, <laughs> you know? So I think it's cool that the government was supposed to move around, um, rather than just sticking in one spot. And that was kind of neat. Right. And I had heard uh i forget where uh, that in the visual guide uh, which i haven't really looked at much yet that um it points out that one of the senators on uh, that balcony uh, when the planet's blown up is actually from supposed to be from naboo yes yes let me go back to those pages here um so i, I was really curious to to go back and see you know what what that senator looked like, what what kind of clothes... I'm presuming it's human rather than Gungan, because um, I, I don't remember seeing any Gungans there, because that, that, that would have stuck out quite a bit. But uh, I'm curious what kind of uh, costume they were wearing, you know, if it's something that was typical of uh, Naboo people in the prequels or not. Um, it actually kind of is. She's a, a lighter 
skinned female. She's got sort of reddish hair and kind of like almost like Leia buns that are sort of like out to the side. Uh-huh. She's got um, like a black shawl um, and then like a frock that's green that's very Theed looking. Um, okay. So I don't know how to say her name, but um, yeah, it's she's she's definitely there as I remember seeing her. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also in that scene you see Chancellor, um, I guess Villicham is his name. Um, he's from the Midrim um, Tarsant system, and so he was there, and he was the Chancellor of the New Republic Senate. Um, mm. So we see him as well. We see um, some senators from other planets. I mean, no, none of the planets like we really, really know. Um, know the names of, but they kind of they do talk about it pretty much pretty in depth in the visual dictionary. So that if you're interested at all in like the politics and stuff, it's it's there. We just haven't gotten a whole lot of it. Right. Yeah, and in the film, I think they it was if you hadn't read things like the visual dictionary or um, before the awakening, I know it does kind of explain the state of like what the difference between the resistance and the the new republic is, and you know how they're affiliated. Um, a lot of that stuff isn't explained in the movie. So it is kind of, I think that is one of the, the negatives of the movie is just maybe it would have been nice to get a little bit more explanation on kind of the different factions and how they were related. Right. Yeah. And it's going to be interesting to see, um, in the upcoming movies, do the, do they expand on that any, or do they just, you know, drop it and, and move on? Right. You know, and I guess one of the things, too, is that the when we see in the original trilogy, the rebellion is sort of what's left of the good side. Whereas here we have the New Republic, which is its own entity. And the resistance is a private force that was actually created by um, Princess Leia to keep an eye on the First Order. So it's not officially a part of the New Republic. They're trying to get assistance from the New Republic, but they're their own sort of entity organization, um, which is I think is really cool. Um, plus, it gives us a new symbol for the New Republic as we add to the you know ever-building ever different symbols from Star Wars. Now we've got... The rebel logo with kind of these like sparks coming off of it as the symbol for the new republic. Um, for people that like that kind of thing, I know I kind of keep tabs on those. Um, so, what are some of the other tie-ins that you saw for like the Clone Wars or? Right. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> well, you were talking about uh, the flags, and uh, as I think we probably all know by now, you know, the, in, at Maz's castle, <clears throat> excuse me, there are all those flags uh, with symbols uh, that are throughout Star Wars history. Um, I'm not even sure if there are any original symbols in there or not, because I've heard of, about so many um, besides, you know, like the the Mandalorian, that Bantha Skull crest or whatever that is, um, you know, and there's even a symbol. Uh, of the the fi- to honor the the 501st uh, legion in the real world um and there's uh i think there's a variety of uh clone wars symbols i've heard there's um one for hondo anaka um possibly visago from rebels i've even heard there are um pod racing symbols uh in there mm-hmm. which I've, I've not confirmed but uh that surprised me 
Um, and I think uh, I was hearing on Rebel Force Radio on the interview there um, uh, of uh, the, the fan that uh, got to appear um, that there's actually things carved into the wall inside of Maz's castle as well. So there, there's plenty to look for in there. Um, one thing I had noticed during uh, publicity, um, and this is not actually uh, Clone Wars or prequels, but from uh, the droids animated series uh, during the 1980s um, that actually a couple of those aliens <clears throat> look almost exactly like some background aliens uh, that were in the droids cartoon. I actually I got a hold of some um, old concept art from the animated series that was online and there's on, on a single page there were like two or three aliens that something very similar appears in Maz's castle so uh, I, I haven't confirmed it with anybody at Lucasfilm but it, it looked pretty likely that uh, you know they're going really retro with uh, some of their influence on things um, but the fact uh, Kylo mentions uh, the clone army Mm -hmm. um, and now we do first hear about the Clone Wars uh, in uh, A New Hope from uh, Obi-Wan, <clears throat> which is where that whole uh, whole history started. Uh, but the fact that, that Kylo uh, would, you know, or the, or the writers would uh, use that opportunity to specifically talk about uh, the Clone Wars uh, and that uh, suggesting that uh, maybe Hux's uh, stormtroopers would be better if they were just clones. It's I think that's very very a very interesting callback uh, reminding us of the prequels um, but also curious about whether clones will uh, come into the story again uh, which personally I think is there's a strong possibility for that. Um, Let's see, there's, there's possible music similarities. I found uh, uh, several themes, uh, bits that were similar to music uh, from the prequels, uh, particularly, um, I think it's the March of the Resistance, uh, which comes in during on the soundtrack for uh, Han and Leia's theme, mm -hmm. uh, is curiously similar to uh, the the march for the the droid army when the Trade Federation um, invades Naboo. Uh, and I haven't, you know, I'm I've got a background in music, but I haven't really analyzed it or anything. I'm just going on the way it sounds, but it does sound like that music is possibly related in in the theme somehow. Um, so yeah, and then there's uh, voices. Uh, yes, I think we've heard that um, the a lot of the original cast on the Clone Wars animated series uh, did uh, voice work for lots of different uh, alien characters uh, and stormtroopers throughout the movie. But uh, also there's um, uh, Obi Wan Kenobi, who uh, whose voice can be heard in um, Ray's vision. Uh, which apparently uses both um, uh, the voice of Alec Guinness, uh, taking a clip from the original uh, movie, as well as uh, Ewan McGregor. Um, so that's that's a very interesting uh, use of uh, of a prequel personality. So there's there's really lots of little things uh, spread through it. Yeah, I agree. And I love the fact that the Clone Wars characters got to do, or the Clone Wars voice actors really, um, that they got to do voices. And um, even if it's just little things here and there, but 
Let's talk about Ray's vision a little bit. Um, did you guys catch Yoda and Luke and Obi Wan like the first time you saw it, Aaron? Um, yeah, I did actually. I did. I heard the voices. I knew it was their voices, but I didn't know what they were saying. And it took probably on the third or fourth viewing that I I still don't know exactly what Yoda says, but I think I you know obviously the Alec Guinness voice. He's just saying her name. But then mm-hmm. Ewan McGregor's line is a little bit more clear um, to me now. But the yeah, I still I'm not sure what Yoda said. Do we know? Do we know what that is? Um, I was gonna try and find it word for word, but he's saying that the Force binds us. Okay. Um, he's saying something like that. Um, and then Ewan McGregor's is saying these are the first steps, or you're taking your first steps. Right. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I definitely, even in my first viewing, like, I think I was kind of looking for it because I know even in, in the Clone Wars and other times that we've had these kind of force visions, there always tends to be voices, um, you know, of other characters, even in, right. like, even back in Attack of the Clones when, when Anakin's killing the, and Anakin's killing the, the Tusken Raiders, we have, you can hear, um, I think it, isn't it Liam Neeson's voice? Yeah, yeah. Anakin, no, or something like that. Um, So, yeah, like, it's definitely something that I, as soon as I saw she was having a vision, I I already was dialed in listening to see if I could hear these disembodied voices. Yeah, I mean, I I didn't, I caught it kind of the first time, but the second time I was like, oh, yep, that's that's Obi-Wan. But I had thought that maybe it was James Arnold Taylor that was doing the voice. So it was really cool to know that they did their movie magic. Yeah. Um, apparently, it, apparently it was <laughs> James Arnold Taylor at first. I think I'd heard him in another interview uh, say that, but then when Ewan McGregor was able to come in, they decided to replace it with him. Right. You know, I mean, I think they go through a lot of iterations and I would think that the first, the first person they'd go to is James just because he can do it so well. But, um, I think there's a lot of power in being able to use Alec Guinness's actual voice, even if right. it's just kind of cut together. Um, we also hear Luke in that vision. We get to hear him scream no from Empire Strikes Back. Um, so he's in there too. It's just sort of interesting. And, and I think it's really a powerful moment to see how the Force is really reaching out to Rey. Um, and she kind of does what I think any of us would do, sort of like, uh, I'm not too sure about this. I'm taking off. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> I know I'd be like, okay, I'm not sure I'm all right with this. Yeah. Yeah, and you can tell um, Maz, Maz thought, you know, she's like, take the take the lightsaber, and you could see when Ray refused it, it did kind of surprise Maz. You know, she was kind of like taken yeah. back, like she thought she's opening this girl's mind to her potential. You know, it's obvious that she's going to take this lightsaber and then she just runs the other way. Um, so, yeah, that was it was definitely a powerful scene all around. As soon as, you know, she touches the saber and you hear like the ignition of a lightsaber and it kind of makes you jump in the theater the first time you see it. Mm-hmm. So, Aaron, did you have anything sort of specific that you one, I know you've been dying to talk about the movie with with people, and I didn't know if you had any specific scenes that you have had questions about that you really wanted to talk about. 
Um, I think after my first viewing, I had a lot of questions, <laughs> a lot mm -hmm. of um, even things that I just re was really questioning, not necessarily thinking it was a big negative, but just things I was like, how does this work or why did, why is this the way it is? But I think now that I've had access to the visual guide and I've I've started reading the novelization and I'm really starting to kind of get some of this information, I don't have as many questions. You know, I, I think most of it makes sense now. Um, but, I mean, I think overall just there's just so many cool or good scenes to talk about. Like um, one that I'll point out now is the scene where Maz's castle is getting attacked by the TIE fighters and the the resistance shows up you know to save the day and just that's that one shot where you have um finn fighting against the stormtroopers at the same time as poe is fighting against the tie fighters up in the air and kind of the way that it's like this continuous shot um and then at the very end of it you know poe flies over finn's head and finn says the line um that's i think he says that's one hell of a pilot mm -hmm. uh, that that whole moment was just stand out to me it's it's one of my favorite scenes from the movie and every time i see it it just makes me want to kind of jump out of my seat and and cheer because it's just it's such a well done scene there yeah i agree i mean that whole sequence is awesome there is one thing that bothers me about the whole scene with maz's castle getting you know destroyed by tie fighters and x-wings and stuff like that why is she not more pissed that's what I want to know. She's had this castle there for probably close to a thousand years. It's been like a haven. And now her home is being completely destroyed. Like if I were her, I would be lividly angry. We don't get any of that. Really bum me out. I mean, they, they knocked off the little statue she had of herself at the top. She's a thousand right. years old. You know, she's been around. She's seen it all. She's probably had to restart her life how many times. You know, this is something that, you know, she just took it in stride. You know, she's she's that kind of character. Right. There's there's something, though, about her background that doesn't quite sit well with me. And the fact that supposedly she's supposed to be a former pirate, yet she's got the 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 calm wisdom of a Jedi, even though she's not supposed to be a Jedi. But but for a pirate, a pirate, somebody, you know, that that steals at gunpoint and, you know, does nasty things and probably leaves people to die and takes everything they own. And, you know, kind of a, you know, they're they're not necessarily a nice person. So I'm wondering, you know, why is why, you know, has she changed or how, how do we, we resolve those uh, that that history with who she is right now? And why do they just leave her there? <laughs> I don't know what what happened for as important of a character as she is in this movie for them to just not you know apparently there were deleted scenes where she does take them or they do take her you know with them to uh, see Leia and the rest of the resistance but the where where this edit of the movie has left it it seems like she's just kind of abandoned uh, in the middle of all of that so I'm kind of that let me a little unsettled with a lot of questions mm -hmm. i thought the the one thing that i did learn today as i was looking at the visual dictionary about about her character is she actually is strong in the force oh really mm -hmm. yeah, yeah they do is. they do point that out in the visual dictionary i know she actually says in the movie that she almost implies that she's not uh, but i guess it's a secret that she's keeping um so i uh, thought that was uh. kind of interesting now she's not a jedi um, they did say that in the visual dictionary that she's not a Jedi, but she is strong in the Force, um, and she tries well, to keep it on the down low. 
That's interesting because I've heard from, and I don't remember where, but I've heard from a few different official people associated with the movie now that she's got power through her eyes. Um, but apart from, you know, seeing that she's got little adjustable magnifying glasses on her goggles, we never really saw an example of any power through her eyes. So I'm wondering what what they had, uh, you know, decided or, or come up with that, that didn't make it to, to the final cut of the movie about her eyes, what's going on there. Yeah, I'd love to see more of her, and I, I actually think we will. And I kind of think we might see more of her in the young Han Solo movie that will come out after Episode Eight, um, oh. because she is, you know, she's obviously got a history with Han. So I would oh. think she will. That, um, that, that would be a very perfect use of the character. That would be r- a really good tie-in. I hope so. So, you know, there's definitely some questions that are sort of left hanging out there. For example, like, who exactly are the Knights of Ren? Um, One of the things I figured out from the Visual Dictionary is they existed before Kylo Ren himself. Um, And so that's interesting. Um, You know, also things like, you know, why didn't Leia ever do anything having to do with the Force? You know, how big Snoke really is? You know, what what is he? Right now, I'm calling I'm calling Snoke Volda Snoke. Um, <laughs> is he slightly Voldemortish? Um, I re- what I saw in the first time I was like Voldemort? No, wrong movie. Uh, so you know, there's definitely some things going on that we don't know um, and we won't know for a while but I guess one of those biggest things um, and this might be a good way to sort of go out would be talking about who exactly Ray is and who we think she is um, I have my own theories but I was going to let you guys go first do you have any thoughts on who you think her parentage might be Um and maybe like what you want to see out of her as we move into the next film. And um, Adam, why don't you go ahead and take this one? Sure. Um, I feel very strongly that she is not a child of Luke Skywalker or um, Princess Leia. Thank um, you. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I say that because so many people think that it's it's the case. But... Honestly, to me, if if that were true, it just seems like such a boring resolution that it would just be kind of something, a, a matter of fact, that, you know, we would find out and then, you know, okay, well, let's just keep going because it doesn't seem like it would really matter. Um, and, the you know, when you're setting up a story, the, the best thing to do is always to make something look inevitable and then do something that you don't expect at all. So the fact that so many people think this is inevitable, I, I really doubt it. That being said, um, I'm quite open to the possibility that she has a connection to the Skywalker line, but somewhere completely different uh, than than what we're used to or or what we're expecting, I will just throw out that you know I was happened to have a picture of her and Shmi Skywalker on the screen at the same time, and I thought it was r- remarkable how much on on Jakku she looks like Shmi Skywalker on Tatooine. Um, so you know, think about that what you may, but uh, yeah, I definitely don't think she's a, a Luke or Leia child. 
Well, you know, and there's a lot of people speculating that she may be a, you know, Obi Wan Kenobi right. descendant. You know, there's the Luke line. There's the, you know, that she's a Solo. Um, I know people were trying to say that. Oh well, she's she's got to be Luke's kid because in Disney Infinity 3.0. Kylo Ren calls her cousin. That has since been debunked. Um, that is not what he says. He says curses, not cousin. <laughs> um, but we're definitely getting to that point where people are looking for anything and everything that they can yeah. find. Um, Aaron, Wouldn't it be fantastically scandalous if she was a child of uh, Obi Wan and uh, what's her name from Mandalore? Satine. Yeah. Oh, I'd love that. That so would be much. great. I would love that. <laughs> yeah, because I love their love story. Well, I loved. I love their story together in the Clone Wars, and I've always wanted to see more of that. But you know what would be she'd, amazing she'd about be that? She'd be way she'd... too young, guys. She <laughs> would be. <laughs> true, but she'd also be part Mando, which would be That's amazing. Um, Aaron, what are you? What are you? Where are your thoughts? I've been really back and forth on this one. After my first viewing of the movie, I was convinced that she was definitely not related to Luke Skywalker. Um, I just thought it just didn't make sense. Some of the dialogue with Maz, um, the fact that she was pretty much left all by herself on this planet. You know, I know a lot of people are like, well, Luke was left by himself, but he wasn't. You know, he was left with caretakers. He had Obi-Wan there looking over him. Um, And so it was really hard for me to, to... wrap my head around the fact that she would have to grow up the way that she did if she if she was Luke's daughter. Um, but now the more I'm thinking about it, I'm thinking maybe she is. You know, maybe there was a guardian there that, you know, we're just not aware of. I know we have that character that shows up at the very beginning of the movie that's very mysterious. Um, Lor Senteca, I think his name is, um, mm. who obviously has ties to, to Luke and Leia. Um, and they call it out in the visual dictionary as well that he has ties to them. He's actually been kind of working with them, um, kind of an old friend. Uh, why would he be on Jakku? Um, just happens to be kind of near uh, Ray as she is growing up, so maybe he was there as a guardian. Um, so I don't know. I'm really going back and forth. I'm completely prepared for it to go either way. If she is Luke's daughter, I think that would be really cool. Um, but if she's not, I'm not going to be extremely disappointed. Um, but I don't think she's a Kenobi. I don't think she's a Solo. If she's anyone, she would be a Skywalker, I think. Um, but I, I think she could also just be a completely random girl that the Force awakened in. I am right there with what you said that last bit. I, you know, if she is a Skywalker, all right. And I'm sure I'll come around to that and being able to accept that, you know, that's what they chose to do. But I don't want her to be a Skywalker. I don't want her to be a Skywalker. I'll say it five times. You know, I don't want her to be a solo. I don't want any of that. You know, I think that there's a lot more power in her story of her being a no one, of being a person who is born, is in hard, you know, has had a hard life, was basically abandoned by her family, but has come to terms with her situation and has thrived. And part of the reason that she's thrived is because of the fact that she's so in tune with the force, but yet she doesn't know what the force is and that someone can rise from their situation to be a powerful force in the galaxy without having to be related to being a Skywalker or a solo. 
And I know a lot of people are saying, well, it's supposed to be a generational story. So she has to be because it has to continue through the generations. And my argument to that is we already have somebody. Hello. Exactly. Kylo exactly. Ren is a Solo and a Skywalker. Like he's both. So we already have that generation. And we are going to see the con- the the I guess the, you know, his story unfolds. So we're going to continue to get a story from him. Um, he's not going away. He's not being Darth Maul chopped in half, you know, so it's, they're keeping the same villain, which is good. And we're going to get to see that generational story that Star Wars is all about. Only this time it's on the dark side and not on the light. And, you know, the Skywalkers don't have to be the people who save the galaxy. It could be her without her having any ties. And I think that's just so much more powerful, but that's just me. Um, you know, now I know there are, like I said, people that are thinking a lot of different things um, when it comes to Ray, And I think it'll just be really interesting as soon as we figure out who it is. I don't think that we're going to find out who her parents are in episode eight. I think we'll find out in nine. I think <laughs> or it's maybe funny. that's just me preparing yeah. myself to not know. <laughs> I just think it's funny how much the mainstream audience is just already assuming that she's Luke's daughter. Like it's, right. it's almost being like when I'm reading articles about it or reviews, it's, it's already like a foregone conclusion. You know, people are just yeah. referring to her as Luke's daughter um, and just expecting that reveal. I don't know. You know, it does seem kind of like the obvious way to go, but there really isn't a lot of evidence to back <clears> it up. So I'm not sure why everyone's just jumping yeah. to that conclusion. Um, but I, there, if it turns out that she's not, I think there will be a lot of people out there that are, that'll be both confused and surprised um, as mm-hmm. to why she's not. I have a right. possibility. I mean, Aaron has shot this down, but I have a <laughs> potential possibility of who she could be. And Adam, maybe you've never thought of this and you could think mm-hmm. it's totally bogus. But what if she's Ezra's daughter? I, I think it's possible. You know, I mean, like, what if they do that? What if they actually tie Rebels into the film? And I know, Aaron, you've said it's too far out there. It's not something that they would do, but maybe it is. Maybe she's Ezra's kid. I would venture to say J.J. Abrams doesn't even know who Ezra is. <laughs> and I don't think, I mean, like I, we've talked about it. I just, I think that they're going to stick with, you know, they're aiming for the mainstream audience. I think Ezra's too far out uh, for them to try to reference. I mean, I, me as a big fan of Rebels and a big fan of all things Star Wars, I love those kind of t- tie-ins, but I just, I think that's too, that's too inside baseball. I just don't think they'd do that. Kind of what, what I'm hoping is uh, what Teresa suggests um, is that she's, you know, not related to them. She's somebody completely different and that her parentage will become sig- significant in the form of somebody else through the story that develops in the next two or three movies. If we even learn who her parents are at all, maybe it just doesn't matter. Um but uh, one thing that I think is interesting now to consider once we've seen the movie is um, the uh, that first uh, teaser trailer. Uh, I think it was the first one where, with the voiceover from Luke, that you know my the force is strong in my family. My father has it. My sister has it, and you have that power too. And now that we've seen the movie, perhaps he. You know, he wasn't talking to the hero. Perhaps he's not talking to Ray. Perhaps 
you know, in in theory, when he might have said that, he he would have been talking to um, to Kylo Ren, to Ben Ben Solo, which kind of gives an inter- interesting spin to that whole trailer. You know, what what did they have in mind when they did that? Yeah, I agree. I mean, and they cut out scenes like where Maz Kanata hands Leia the lightsaber. You know, they cut that scene out. Um, from the movie, they cut a lot of scenes out. And if you haven't um, gone online and found some of the sites that talk about the scenes that were cut, you really should, because I think there's some really good stuff there. And I kind of can't wait for the DVD or Blu-ray in April, right. where they have lot, you know, the deleted scenes, or you, you know, maybe they do an extended edition where they stick them back in, mm. you know. And that's just for like a super fans out there that would really care. But like, I'd love to see some of these scenes that they that they cut out. Yeah, I think the Blu-ray is going to be fascinating. Yep, for sure, for sure. So I guess all in all, I know we all really liked it, um, but to close this out... We, can't, um, we cannot what? close this out, Teresa. Why? We have not <laughs> even talked about the big thing that happened in the movie. Oh, yeah, we haven't talked about the that. The big spoiler. We haven't even uh, talked about that. I know we've kind of danced around it with the different characters that were involved in that scene, but we haven't Han gotten Solo to the died. meat of it. Yeah. <laughs> is it okay? So th- this is a question I have for you, Teresa. Because you are you're a self admitted, you're more of a prequel fan. So maybe Han isn't that same. Doesn't have that same kind of, um, you know, place in your heart that he does to to the original trilogy fans. It was it kind of just a big like, oh, he died. Like, did it not hit you? Oh, no, it hit me. I mean, I was crying. I couldn't see. Okay. I mean, the first time I was watching it, I couldn't see. And it was partly because of that. And then mostly it was Chewie's reaction afterwards yeah. and how Chewie goes all suicide bomber, um, you know, like trying to kill everybody. I'm just going to blow this stuff up. And he's just like, screw it. Boom, push the button. Um, I was just like, oh, my God, he just killed himself. <laughs> um. Uh, it was a very powerful moment, and I did get really upset. I actually got more upset than I thought I would. Like, that's the thing. I didn't think that I would get that upset with one of the legacy characters dying, and then I did. And I it shocked me. Um, but I think it fit, and I think it was appropriate, mm-hmm. and I think that it told the story and continued the story the way it needed to be. Now the question will be is does his death, impact the story the way that it should impact the story because it should impact it a lot it shouldn't just be something that happens and then gets kind of swept under the rug like this should be a lot of driving force for ray it should be a big um a big moment for kylo ren that continues to Mm -hmm. cause him conflict you know i think it it should really hold some gravitas as far as like the rest of the story goes um I don't know. I just. I guess I've talked about it before. Sorry, I didn't think about <laughs> you were talking about. It. No, yeah, I, I. I was gonna say I. I agree. I think. Um, I think his his death. Um, it what it does is it, it justifies uh, Kylo Ren in some ways in uh, his his evilness and his his moving forward as an important character because he's the he's the guy that killed Han Solo he's the guy that killed his father I think it'll motivate uh, Luke Skywalker um, it gives some you know some emotional foundation for Ray moving forward it's gonna really complicate and conflict uh, Leia uh, moving forward because she's gonna wanna 
she's still going to want to redeem her son, but she's going to have all that pain of uh, losing Hans. So uh, it's, I think it'll be important. And I know a lot of people have felt like it, you know, it didn't, uh, didn't have the meaning for them that I, I think it, it, it needed to, to justify losing Han, but I, I think it will, I think it'll uh, unfold in future movies. And, and like you said, um, the, the way Chewbacca reacted uh, was really, really emotional, kind of tugged at my heart. And I, I got to say, Chewbacca through this whole movie, I, I forgot how much I loved Chewbacca as a little kid. And I kind of, I just fell in love with Chewbacca all over again because he's so, he's so endearing. He's so funny, you know, lovable, his, his scenes. Uh, he, he was a cool character in this movie. Yeah. Chewbacca was great in this movie. We haven't really talked about him much either, but um, he was kind of back to that Chewbacca that I remember from A New Hope. Um, yeah. And I I thought he had some of the best moments in the movie. Um, some of the kind of, you know, he doesn't speak any lines, obviously, but just some of his reactions to, you know, things like when, when Finn was asking if Han was a war hero. And then, you know, Chewbacca just gives this kind of like, almost like shrug, like, I don't know, like, <laughs> you know, just <laughs> those type of reactions uh, throughout the movie with him. The the part where he's getting tended to by the doctor and she's like, oh, you must be very brave. And you can tell he's like really proud of himself. You know, just, it was, they had some perfectly written scenes, I think, for that character. So I was happy, happy that he was back and didn't have the, uh, you know, the, the, the use and Vong moon fall on him. Like he did in the EU, I was happy to see that uh, he's still around in this uh, this version of Star Wars. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, the the whole scene with Han, you know that that for me was a big. There were two moments in the movie that I kind of found myself, you know, getting tears in my eyes, and it was the as soon as I saw Star Wars pop up on the screen, and then the moment Han died. Those two moments, um, in probably the first two viewings, it's I had the same reaction both times. But um, yeah, it was a very strong scene. Now I, I'm kind of like, I'm curious to hear what you guys think about this. Do you think that Kylo Ren is redeemable, or was that an act? Like, I know he seemed, at least in his facial expressions, that Han was maybe turning him back to the light. Like there was a moment there where, you know, maybe he was starting to decide to go with Han. Or do you think he was just? fooling Han the entire time and he and he never intended to turn I think that there was a very small moment where it looked like he he thought that he might but I think that we are not going to see a redemption story and nor do I want one I don't want a redemption story for Kylo Ren I want a full fledged out 100% I am a villain story. I don't want any of this, oh, I'm going to turn to the light side or whatever. Like, no, let's go Disney villain, like Snow White, <laughs> Evil Queen, let's go. You know, Maleficent, this thing. Um, you know, there doesn't need to be any of that, like, you know, like, oh, there's still good in him, blah, blah, blah. No, just go bad, Kylo, and don't look back. Just go. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I think uh, a more interesting story uh, is what Teresa suggests. And I think that's um, particularly going to come through with Leia and wanting to redeem uh, Kylo Ren. Um, and that that conflict with her and probably the futility in it. And also the reversal of potentially Luke Skywalker, where he did redeem, redeem his father, but... 
he doesn't want to redeem his nephew. Uh, and p potential conflict between him and Leia on that, too. I think it could make for very interesting, very emotional over the next couple of movies. Yeah, I, I agree with you guys, uh, but at the same time, I know there is the potential for the character to be redeemed. Um, I know it's going to be Leia's focus. You know, it's still her son. And and I think that just Star Wars in general is about redemption. And that's yeah. kind of how the first trilogy went, you know, to see the redemption of Darth Vader. As bad as that character was, as evil of things that he did, um, he still, in the end, was redeemed. And, you know, Luke could have easily, you know, he, he, dis, he basically didn't take the advice of his masters, the people that he respected the most, Yoda and Obi-Wan, who were both telling him to go kill Vader. And Luke, you know, stood up to that and chose to stay in the light and to still see the good in this person that really most anyone else would think there is no good left and did end up redeeming his father. So I think that there could be some parallel here and that maybe there would be the potential of a redemption story for Ben Solo. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I think it could go either way. I don't think it's it's written in stone that he's just going to be completely evil from here on out. I think Snoke is that figure of evil right. that we see that, you know, he is going to be the constant bad, like kind of what we had with the Emperor. But I think we'll have to wonder what's going to go on with, with Kylo Ren as the movies go on. Well, and I think right. that's where the downfall of Leia will be. I think that's how Leia will die. Yeah. You know, is that um, she's going to die at the hands of, of who I call Rinbin. Um, really? You think a... they'd go there? You think they're going to have him kill both of his parents? Oh, heck yeah. No, and I, I hope th they do. I hope they do. Honestly, because, you know, like, I love You just like, You just the love the dark journey. stuff. I love the, <laughs> I love the hero's journey, but there has right. to be some serious, dark, messed up stuff yeah. going on here. Like, we can't just, like, kind of skate over it like it's oh happy gray. You know, like, like I want to see that real real dark side you know because right. we don't get that and it's and it's clearly there so why don't let's go there you yeah. know take us I there i think leia's definitely got some really dark really difficult things ahead for her probably more than any other star wars character um whether kylo has it in him to do to her what he did mm -hmm. to his father I'm not sure. It might take somebody like Snoke to uh, to oh, yeah, finish that, to step in. Um, we'll have to see. But of course, who who knows what's going to happen? But I think that's that's some interesting storytelling territory and very emotional uh, to venture into. Or maybe she dies by accident in a battle. I don't know. I don't <laughs> think she's going to live. <laughs> I think Leia makes it through the movies. If anyone may be in danger of dying out of the original cast, uh, still would be maybe Luke, but. Yeah, I, I think Leia yeah. makes it. I don't think they're going to give us the one-two shot of both of the parents uh, getting taken out. Um, but I do have a question for you, Adam, because I think you're an expert in this area as the, the author of What Makes a Monster. Um, well, thank you. <laughs> what <laughs> is your take on the, the Rathtars, the big scene that we had with the, uh, the mm. monsters um, getting out and taking people out? Um... You know, to be honest, it it wasn't the most creative creature design um, that I think we've seen. 
Um, I was glad that we got a creature in there. I guess we've actually got three beasts um, of different sorts in the movie. That one and the, that um, the Hapabor, um, who uh, they've called Hog, Squ- Hog Squaddle on Rebel Force Radio, um, and the, uh, the Lugga Beast. Uh, with the the cyborg armor on him, uh, the Rathars, um I, I thought it was cool to have you know some 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 monsters in there uh, that are you know formidable and dangerous and eating people. Um, so that that was very Star Warsy to to have at least one one thing in the movie like that. I was afraid uh, you know we'd we'd go through and they wouldn't focus on uh, on on the novelty creatures like that. So I was glad to see them in there. Yeah. I hadn't thought about asking you about the wrath tires. They were, they were kind of a weird little situation going on there, but it was neat. Um, yeah. I just wish we had had like a cuddly creature, like a Tauntaun or a, <laughs> like maybe we'll get like something similar to an Ewok in the next movie <laughs> or something cute. I don't know. Maybe yeah, not. there wasn't very many cute monsters and or no, cute there were, creatures. No, yeah. Not I think BB-8 was cute enough. Right. No, but I need fuzzy cute too. <laughs> <laughs> you can you can grab one of those those little robed uh, aliens with the the metal faces. They're probably cuddly if you can get over the smell. <laughs> All right. So now are we good to wrap up, Aaron? I think so. Okay, so if you guys, like, to wrap this up, if you had to pick, like, one scene that you could watch over and over again, um, what would that be? Let's start with Aaron. Oh, wow. Um, Whenever you ask me to say one thing, I usually say, like, three things. Um, I think I kind of already said with the the whole scene with Finn um, and Poe in the X-Wing and Finn taking out Stormtroopers and that kind of that whole scene, how it all goes down is is one of the standouts. Um, I said and, one. Yeah, I'll just stick with one. I'll follow the rules this time. That that would be, that would be the one. <laughs> and Adam, what about you? Oh, just one. <laughs> um, hmm. You know, it's got to be a scene with Ray. Uh, so, so picking which one is uh, really hard. I... I'll say I I really love that scene uh, in the forest in uh, the the battle uh, with Kylo Ren where he's going for the lightsaber using the force pulling it out of the snow and it zips past him and lands in Ray's hand and she's totally shocked and surprised and scared to death and afraid and doesn't want to do it but she knows it's all down to her so she takes it and goes for it um and you see all of that just with the look on her face um it's just really incredible the the complexity that um and the emotion that she she was able to show so that that was one of my favorites yeah i would i would say that one um but since you said it i'm gonna pick a different one and mine would actually be the whole scene on the Falcon between Ray and Finn and BB-8 and ju- all of that, um, starting from when they get on the Falcon to when Han um, and Chewie walk into the Falcon. Just that whole sequence, I think, is just really great. The acting was spot on. 
um, and the humor was perfectly timed and it didn't feel forced and it just felt so natural. So that would be mm, the scene for me for sure. So um, as we in as we close out here, Adam, do you have anything that you would like to make sure people check out from you? I mean, we know that you're still doing book tours and stuff for Ultimate Star Wars, as well as um, everything, well, the, absolutely everything you need to know yeah. um, about Star Wars. But um, what else? Yeah, well, uh, those books are doing really good, and they're really popular, so popular that Amazon is often out of stock um, on them. So if you do want to get a copy of those books and you can't find them, you can actually order them directly uh, from me, complete with uh, signatures and little Star Wars doodles and things. Um, so if you want to get a signed copy, you can um, either connect with me on Twitter at author Adam Bray. Or you can even email me. Um, it's just adambray at worldsbydesign.com. And just make sure that worlds is plural with an S on it. Um, and apart from that, uh, I do have uh, books coming, but they're mostly in the spring and summer. I've got a uh, Lego Star Wars book uh, coming uh, that's uh, Lego Chronicles of the Force. Uh, and it will have an exclusive Lego figure included in that. Ooh. Um, I have, uh, some other Star Wars stuff I probably can't talk about yet, and I have something coming from another Disney franchise, uh, that I probably can't say more than that yet. Oh, but, that's uh, exciting. <laughs> yeah, very exciting. I'm really excited about it. Uh, but those will be later in the year. Great. Um, and so you've given your contact information. So I guess for bookworms, if you guys want to get in touch with us, let's see, you can email us. We're starwarsbookworms at gmail.com. Um, on Twitter, we are at SWBookworms. Aaron is at AV Goins. I am at Ice Cold Penguin. Um, and Aaron, I'll let you take it from here. Is there more than that? Facebook, maybe iTunes. We're on Facebook. Know. You can download us on <laughs> iTunes. Yeah, <laughs> all those things. Um, but yeah, that's that's the place you can find us. Actually, I have one more question. We can cut this out or leave it in as bonus content. But um, content. Teresa, I know you're kind of a big prequel fan. You know, you also enjoy the original trilogy. I think your favorite movie is still Return of the Jedi. Although I don't know if that's changed, but. When you saw The Force Awakens, where does it kind of, not necessarily, you know, you don't have to rank all the movies, but does it kind of surpass um, any of the movies for you? Is it kind of your, is it better than the prequels? Is it better than the original trilogy? What do you think? Um, oh, this is hard. It might be beating out Return of the Jedi for my favorite movie. Okay, so it, it might be your favorite. Yeah, it might be my favorite. If not, it's second now. Interesting. I know it's kind of a, a tough question to ask because, like, we're kind of we're right in the mix of the hype of this movie. Um, right. I know when back when uh, Attack of the Clones came out, I remember, you know, that oh, that's my favorite Star Wars movie, and now it's my least favorite Star Wars movie. So, um, <laughs> you know, time can change things. But I don't know. How about you, Adam? Where did you? How did you feel coming out? Like, where this ranks on your overall Star Wars movie list? Yeah, it's it is really hard uh, because we're in the middle of it. Um, so I would say right now where I'm at, 
the the original trilogy are still my favorite, and I'm going to put this right Force Awakens right after that, before the prequels at the end. Um, so I've got it right in the middle right now. I think I've probably got to see it a few more times and and let it all sit in and you know think about it for a while for maybe a few more months or even maybe a year or two um, and let it settle in. Bef- and it, it, it could creep there into the middle of the original trilogy. I'll just kind of have to see what I think after a while. Cool. Yeah, for me personally, I, I think it's 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 too early to tell, but just kind of coming off the hype, but it just for a pure entertainment value, like I've watched it four times and I'm still not tired of it. I can't wait to see it again. Um, and I didn't. I never had that reaction with any of the other movies that I saw in the theater, so I definitely would rank this currently as my favorite um, Star Wars movie. But you know, that could, like I said, time can change things. So we'll see if it if it lasts. But for now, yeah. I love it. All right. So for all of you listening, um, tune in to us next time where we will be talking about a book. Um, but if you are interested in what we're going to be doing with the book club, just stay tuned on Goodreads. Um, the Force Awakens novelization is coming out. It comes out next week. Um, and that will be the book we will be doing for January. So just stay tuned over there. And until then, keep on reading and may the Force be with you. Hey, did you see Star Wars with Daddy? Yeah. What did you like about it? Liked about it like Ray. You like Ray? Yeah. More than BB-8? I do. What did you like about Star Wars? BB-8. BB-8? Yeah. Did you like Kylo Ren? I did. You did? <laughs> did they have lightsabers? Yeah. What did they do with the lightsabers? They fight people. They fight people? Yeah. Did the good guys have lightsabers? Uh, Kylo's a bad guy. Yeah. Did he have a lightsaber? Yeah. Did Ray have a lightsaber? Uh, she had, she had the blue lightsaber to fight him. To fight him? Yeah. What about Finn? Did he have a lightsaber? No, he had a gun. Finn had a gun? Yeah. <laughs> what about the X-Wings? Did you like the X-Wings? They don't They don't have a lightsaber. X-Wings don't have a lightsaber? No. Well, yeah, they don't. What happened to Han Solo? He fell down. Yeah. Was Chewbacca mad about that? Yeah. Yeah. Chewbacca was not here about him. He wasn't there? No. I think you need to watch it again. He was there. Do you think Han Solo is going to come back? I think so. Yeah, you think so? What would Kylo Ren do with the Ray? What did he do to Ray? Yeah. He fought her. No, he who, had tri- Hey, who won that fight? Do you remember who won? Who won? Did Ray win or did Kylo Ren win? Ray. Yeah. 
I thought he was doing. I thought he was fighting that. He would find that lightsaber. Yeah. Are you yeah. gonna Are you gonna see the next one, the next Star Wars movie? Yeah. Yeah. All right. We have to do this. We have to do this. Yeah. We will. We will. This is gonna close. <laughs> this thing is gonna close. Hey, I think it's time for you to go to bed. No. No.